why we should worship. Facts affect feelings. So we should worship because of the facts, not because of how we feel. And almost inevitably, probably, that process will affect our feelings. However we feel when we start, by the end of our worship, we'll probably feel uplifted. So he says, doesn't he, his greatness no one can fathom. You can't measure it. You can't really even express it. And then he goes on to have a go anyway. He's going to explain through the Hebrew alphabet why we should worship. And his first theme is, I don't know if my battery's gone. You might, oh, no, here we go. God's redemption. His first theme is redemption. What he's done for us. He's going to develop this why we worship and the how. And as I read you this section on God's redemption, what I want you to do is think about um, how should we worship. Notice all the verbs that are used. So verbs, primary school definition, which is partially true, doing words. Where are the doing words? And how should we worship? All the nouns. So look out for the verbs of how and the nouns um, of the why we worship and how we worship. Here we go. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. So I have put, I don't know how easy it is to see, all the, um, all the verbs, all the doing words in green. And there you go. Uh, we are going to be, um, he says, telling, speaking, meditating, proclaiming, telling, celebrate, singing. That's quite a busy, busy thing, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's not a passive worship. It's vocal, even possibly noisy. Worship is active. It might involve movement and singing and voice. And it's inclusive. We're to tell others the good news. It's not just about us. There's a process of telling. And only one of these words, I'm sorry if you're a silent introvert, but only one of them is actually potentially silent or calm, and that's meditating. Um, well, the rest are quite noisy. Um, so I found that interesting, that it's all about um, activity, in a way. It's not a passive thing. So those, those were the verbs of how we worship. And now think about why. So these are the nouns, and these are put in purple, which might not be too easy to read, but there we go. Why? Well, um, all these works describing God's redemption, or what he's done, what he's like. So we have... Um, Works, mighty acts, glorious splendor, majesty, wonderful works, awesome works, great deeds, abundant goodness, righteousness. There's quite a list, isn't there? Well, David, as he was writing this psalm, I wonder what was in his mind. No doubt he was thinking of Israel's history. Um, he was thinking about how God had rescued Israel. And he was probably also thinking personally, his personal rescue, his personal protection from harm. But of course, David is in not as good a situation as us because back then he didn't know about the ultimate wonderful work that God was going to do 
we are more privileged, aren't we, than David? The ultimate awesome deed, great act, um, abundant goodness was Jesus being sent. We are in a better position than even David was uh, when we think of what God has done for us. In our family, we have a little game. Um, I think Chris might have mentioned this before. If, if I were to say to you, describe yourself in four words, what four words would come to your mind? Well, on various packaging nowadays, as you may have noticed, they often describe in two of three, four words, things that they think encapsulate their products. So here are two from my cupboard. Um, Tesco basmati rice. Um, the phrase in our family is, when you see the words, and in this case, what is it? Um, aromatic and fluffy. Who do you think of? <laughs> Probably don't think of basmati rice. When you see the words aromatic and fluffy, who pops into your mind? And then it goes on to talk about uh, uh, the rice being long and slender, so that might also narrow it down, literally, too. Or, here we are, have the coffee. Um, when you see the words dark and rich and full-bodied and smooth, <laughs> who do you think of? So that's our little family game, an insight into the Northern family life around the dinner table. Um, but David is about to do this as he describes God. If I had four words to say about God, what might I say, for example? This is what I think is in part in David's mind. And so we're going to get a bit of an insight, you know, what four words might you pick if you were trying to describe God's character? So this is part three, God's character. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. Now, some of those words, particularly in verse 8, are very familiar because they appear here, they appear throughout the, the Old Testament. They're, they're repeated again and again. The, the, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Those are the four key things that are being picked out. And it isn't actually David that's using these words at all, really. He is repeating what God said about himself. So as you thought of the four words that might describe you, this is what God said about himself. And he said it to Moses because um, this, this happens in Exodus 34. So Moses has seen a great rescue. They've been rescued out of Egypt. There they are on the, on the right side of, of the river, of the, of the Red Sea. Um, and now Moses, he's got his people safe, but he's at something of a loss as to the next step. And he says to God, show me your glory. And God says, yes, okay, I will. And he sends him to Mount Sinai, and he goes up Mount Sinai, and this is how God describes himself. When he's to, in response to his request, show me your glory. And God says this in Exodus 34. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. That's what God's four, the four characteristics perhaps he most wants us to know about. And here's David agreeing in nine, verses 9 and 10, expanding on this, saying, yeah, he is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. 
Verse 8, interestingly, is also quoted by Jonah. So do you remember when Jonah um, is sent to Nineveh to proclaim God's graciousness? At the end of Jonah, in Jonah chapter 4, he's cross and he says, oh, God, this is so annoying. I know that you're gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, and that is why I'm cross. Isn't that weird um, that he's actually using this as a criticism, really? So it's quite interesting that Jonah uses this. And God says, yeah, I do want to have compassion on Nineveh, not only 120,000 people, but also many cattle. So it made me smile. He says he has compassion on all he has made, even the cows. Um, Sorry, I don't want to mention cows. I know cows are not Steph's favorite animal. Um, so there we are. I, I thought it was interesting that that's picked up in several places in the Bible, this um, phrase about God's compassion. Next bit of this psalm, God's kingdom. I, I wonder, I don't know what you do for a job, all of you. Um, I'm a teacher, as many of you know. When teachers get together, you never guess what they talk about. Teaching. Education, that is what they talk about. When engineers get together, I bet they talk about engineering. When, I don't know, um, whatever you do, name some jobs, name your own job. I bet when you get together with the people that do the same job as you, I bet you talk about that job. Health, medicine, whatever. I bet that's what you talk about. Guess what? I bet David, when he got together with kings, which is probably more difficult than some jobs, um, I bet what they talked about is what it's like to be a king and how kingship's going and um, you know, comparing their kingdom and your kingdom. I bet in his mind he's thinking about kingship. And I have a feeling that as he writes this psalm, knowing that he is king, Is he thinking about his kingship and comparing it to God's kingdom? I bet he is. We're not, it turns out, um, a a, a nation of um, royalists anymore. I I looked up some statistics. 84% of the 65-year-olds and upwards um, support the the monarchy. But only 42%, exactly half, of 18 to 24s. So monarchy is getting less appealing. Over a third of youngsters in that age group would abolish it altogether. That's quite interesting, isn't it? So who knows the future of an earthly kingdom, of the United Kingdom? Will it have a future? We don't really know. It might be a dangerous time to be a prince of the realm, mightn't it? But this kingdom that David is going to talk about is quite different. Verse 11. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. So, did David ever think, oh dear, I'm not a very good king and compare himself? I bet he did. I bet he had imposter syndrome because I bet every single one of us occasionally has imposter syndrome. I bet we do, thinking, actually, am I any good at this? Do I know what I'm doing? I bet King David had moments like that too. And he looked at God's kingdom and thought, yep, I am not like that. My kingdom might not be as strong as this. It might not be as good as this. My my acts might not be that mighty. Sometimes my splendor slips. Um, 
will it last forever? Well, in one sense, yes, because God had promised that, but it, it may not quite always look the same. This kingdom, God's kingdom, is A, everlasting, B, good, and C, mighty and powerful. And if any of those three aspects were not there, it would not be a kingdom really worth praising. So if you have a, a kingdom that's good and powerful, but it doesn't last forever, no good. If you have a kingdom that is everlasting and powerful, but is not good, who wants to be the part of that kingdom? No thanks. All of those three things need to be there for it to be a truly good kingdom. God's kingdom is like this, perhaps in contrast to earthly ones. And interestingly, King Nebuchadnezzar um, in Daniel quotes this verse. He quotes that uh, verse 13. Your kingdom, he says of God, is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. So here's another king looking at God's kingdom and thinking, oh, that's not like mine. He says this when he sees the miraculous salvation, really, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They come out of that fiery furnace unharmed, and he says, oh, wow, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So he's met a truly great God, a a true king. Next part. I'm going to romp through these a bit. But these are all about God's provision, So see if you can see all the ways in which God provides in these verses. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. So two key themes are coming out there. Help in whatever form you need it. God helps us. That's how he provides. And then a very specific one, food, sustenance. So there's two ways in which God provides. Next little bit. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, verse 17, and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Again, two key ways there. Answer prayer. If we call on him, he hears us and he does something. And he protects us. He watches over us. So just have a pause for thought. Do you or someone you know particularly need one of those four areas of God's provision? Do you need protection? Do you need prayer answered? Do you need food, material needs? Have you got material worries? Do you need help? in the widest form. Is that true of you or anyone you know? Let's just pause for a minute and we'll bring those things to mind for us um, and other people on our minds. We're just gonna pray 
in, silently for 30 seconds before we finish this psalm. Amen to all of your prayers for yourself, for others. Amen to those. And finally, we're back round the circle. We're back at this call to worship. This is the final verse of the Psalm 21. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. A reminder again to worship and this time he's opened it out it's not just I will exalt but let every creature do so let's all do this I read this week um, a phrase talking about worship because I think sometimes it does occur to us when we're told to worship God or when God tells us to worship him there's a little bit of a sometimes thinking um, do you need us to big you up? I, I, I don't, I know, maybe it's just me that thinks that, but that, you know, if someone says to me, you must worship me or you must appreciate me, you think, immediately you're thinking, you know, there's just like this human sinfulness that immediately goes, you're telling me why? Why should I do that? And, and we shouldn't make the mistake of thinking that's um, an acceptable thought to have. So I read this this, this week. I'm, I'm doing the Bible in the year, and this was um, one of the... Um, Reflections, And it's quoting C.S. Lewis on his reflections on the Psalms. And this is what C.S. Lewis says. The most obvious fact about praise strangely escaped me. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise, whether that's the countryside or sport, weather, wine, food, horses, actors, countries, children, flowers, books, whatever lights your fire, you spontaneously talk about it and praise it and say how wonderful it is, don't you? I think, says C.S. Lewis, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. So worship really is the consummation of joy. It's in expressing it that we truly are able to soak it up. And I, I quite liked that um, feeling. But that's why we worship. It's not just because God tells us to. It's not just because he's worthy, although he is. It's also because it does something for us. It completes our joy in the process. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is not something we refer to much, but here it is. It says, humankind's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Those things are linked. Glorifying him and enjoying him are linked. I found that quite an interesting thought as we concluded this psalm. So, because um, it's no good just me talking unless we then actually apply it in some way, um, this final slide is just asking us to think, what is your personal so what? Because the likelihood is that there'll be one aspect of that psalm that particularly goes ding for you, 
um, and is the thing that you need to be thinking about this week. So what is that? So is it that call to worship about being frequent and personal and active? Or is it about this section of God's redemption? Um, Active worship, proclamation, speaking it out, talking about um, what we're feeling. Is it fact-based? Are we recalling the facts as a means of expressing worship? Is it about focusing on God's character? So maybe you want to write your own psalm or your own acrostic. Or maybe you want to write your own summary of what you think God's character means for you. Or maybe you want to memorize this psalm or a verse of it or a different psalm. Is there a way that you can focus on God's character? What about God's kingdom? Do you need to remember that God's in charge and that even if your life might look a bit out of control and not, you know, and you're not, you're not powerful enough to make things go right, God's in control and he is a king. What about God's provision? We've thought about that earlier already for ourselves and for others, but actually, is there something that you need to be thinking about in terms of you need help? You need material help. You need protection. You need prayer. You need answered prayers or someone in your family or friendship or the world. And finally, this final call, do we praise and get that completion of joy as we worship? Do we need to focus on that? So, just have a think. That's my final slide. So it's over to you now to think, yeah, what, what, what am I going to take away for this week? Just have a think. And then we'll pray. Dear God, we thank you that you speak. You spoke to David. And you speak to us. Um, You are utterly reliable. You are totally in charge. You hear when, when we speak, and we can hear when you speak. And we pray that that will be a conversation we can continue to have this week. Help us know what to take away with us. Amen. Our final song is going to pick up some of those themes. Um, of what God has done for us. Let's all stand. <laughs>